Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. White lines, baby. It's the 80s, and cocaine is the drug du jour, fueling the fast-paced lifestyle of Wall Street titans, musicians, and even athletes. You do a few lines and you're like, you're the most interesting person I've ever met. But there's one place where it flows as freely as champagne. Whether it's at meetings of power players, on film sets, or in the movies. That's when cocaine was running fluently. Cocaine was just becoming even bigger in the movie colony out there. A nonstop party for the rich and famous. Hollywood is a world many fantasize being part of. And 33-year-old New Yorker Roy Radin is hell-bent on getting there. Roy wanted to become a movie producer. He wanted to be the young kid that took over Hollywood. With his six-foot-four frame and boisterous personality, Radin is larger than life. An imposing and eccentric character in the New York scene. Roy Radin was somebody that would walk down the street wearing a cape and carrying a silver-tipped cane. He looks like he's either got a lot of money or knows people who do. In fact, it's both. His name is Roy Radin, and he's known around New York as the 300-pound boy millionaire. Roy is the definition of a self-made man. In his early teens, his parents divorced. And with two younger sisters and a mother to care for, young Roy took it upon himself to support his family. When he was about 15, he ended up going to work with the circus, going into a place weeks ahead of time and promoting the show, putting out all the flyers. After he did that for about a year, he put his own show out. Raiden comes up with the idea of bringing back an old-timey form of entertainment, vaudeville. The Roy Raiden All-American Family Review. A traveling variety show with acts like magicians, comedians, and ventriloquists and headlined by former TV stars. From Milton to Tiny Tim to George Jessel, J. Fred Muggs, the uh, chimpanzee, he's bringing to them in person 
what they watched on TV every night for, what, 20 years? It caught on, and it caught on, and it caught on. It was pure success. Raiden is a marketing genius and books around the clock schedule of shows. There was one spot we did like 39 shows in like 35 cities in like 29 days. <laughs> it's unbelievable. This was America's Got Talent, four shows a day, seven days a week. He missed his teens and he missed his 20s. He never got the date. You know, here he is, boom, 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 work, 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 work. But the nonstop work pays off. He made his first million before he's 20 years old. And as his business grows, so does his reputation. The whole time I knew him, he had a huge heart, but in business, he was one of the toughest SOBs you could ever meet. He could be pretty scary. His wealth amasses over the next decade, and he spends lavishly. He bought a 70-something room mansion out in the Hamptons, and it became the location for some parties of historic proportion. The 30-year-old showbiz producer plays host to some of the beautiful people. He's known as a high-living playboy with a penchant for sex parties. One person recounts going in to talk to him, and he was sitting there with a blonde on one knee, a blonde on another knee, and another blonde standing behind him, draped over him, and he was alternately kissing everybody while uh, drinking champagne with his free hand. Champagne wasn't the only thing fueling his nonstop party. His drug habit was reported to be somewhere between $1,500 and $3,500 a week. The money for this nonstop party is coming from a hugely successful business, but one that doesn't fulfill Raiden's true ambitions. Legitimacy is what he was looking for. He wanted to be respected, but he was kind of a joke because it was this silly vaudeville show. So he got this idea that he could be successful producing movies just the same way he'd been very successful producing these vaudeville reviews. He sells his mansion and in 1983 takes the leap. Welcome to California. It's Hollywood. Hollywood. A place of movie stars. All kinds of movie stars. Roy came out here with his personal secretary that always traveled with him, Jonathan Lawson. Raiden gets by acting as a personal manager for some of his former vaudeville acts and other clients. He had a fellow that he acted as agent for, an actor named Damon Wilson, who had been one of the stars of the hit comedy Sanford and Son. Just talking about you. Yeah, and I got a pretty good idea what you were talking about. But Roy didn't travel across the country to manage has-beens. He wanted a whole entertainment empire. He had huge dreams, but Roy was having trouble finding legitimacy in Hollywood. He knew relatively little about the movie business. Then, a life-changing encounter. He meets a woman called Lainey Jacobs. She was introduced to Roy at a party. She was an attractive lady, sexy. She didn't have trouble getting men. A clothing designer with a string of wealthy ex-husbands, Lainey Jacobs lives a life of excess. She drives a Porsche, rents private jets, and like Raiden, 
She also came to Los Angeles to fulfill her dream of becoming a Hollywood producer. Raiden and Laney hit it off, and they just started going out and partying together. Laney has a crew of Hollywood playmates, and Roy easily becomes immersed in her world. He clicks with one in particular, a Mississippi transplant named Tally Rogers. Tally is a former boxing champ who can party just as hard as he can punch. Laney introduced him to Roy. Tally and Roy became really good friends. In fact, Tally, when he was in Los Angeles, would stay at the same hotel that Raiden and his personal secretary were staying at. But it's not just friends that Laney supplies Roy with. She also has a major Hollywood connection. Laney comes to Raiden and says she had met Bob Evans. Robert Evans had done things like Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby. He was a huge success. But he also liked Coke a little bit too much. And he got busted for it. And the Hollywood studios sort of turned his back on him after he had a couple of bombs. These days, Evans can't seem to find what the changing tastes of the 80s demand, the blockbuster. Films like Rocky, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the Star Wars franchise are making record profits. But Evans has a vision from the past that he hopes will put him back on top. He had this idea to do a big film based around the Cotton Club, this historic place in Harlem where African-American talent and the mob kind of intersected. But, you know, the people in the studios, you've got to come up with tens of millions of dollars to get a film like that underway. And they just didn't really trust Robert Evans anymore. Ten years ago, Evans wouldn't have given a guy like Raiden Flush with cash but short on Hollywood cred, the time of day. But he's had two years of unsuccessful funding attempts. And Raiden, of course, keyed on that right away. He said, boy, can you introduce me to him? Laney takes Raiden to meet Robert Evans. It's a do-or-die opportunity for Roy, who is hoping Evans is convinced that his background in vaudeville makes him the perfect match for this project. She put Raiden together with Mr. Evans, and they three of them began talking about putting a movie deal together. After a series of negotiations, Raiden and Evans hash out an agreement. Roy had good interest. He had 45% interest in it. Robert Evans had 45%. The remaining 10% went to the other financers. Roy's Hollywood dreams are finally becoming a reality. A few days later, he flies back to New York for business. While there, he receives a phone call. Laney who put Roy and Robert together is going, what about me? I should get half of what Roy is going to make. I should get half of 45%. Roy said, no, you, that's not how producing works. I'll give you a flat fee of $50,000 as a finder's fee. You should like it. He probably swore, yelled at her and stuff, and then hung up on her. Then I understand that she was upset. She called back crying. Roy reluctantly agrees to talk it over in person when he returns to L.A. Raiden is back in Los Angeles at his usual hotel, the Regency, with his assistant, Jonathan Lawson. Laney's been pressing for a dinner meeting, and Roy finally agrees to see her that evening. And they're going to go off to a nice dinner at this spiffy place in Los Angeles, La Scala. Roy isn't thrilled about the dinner and has a plan B in the works, one that involves his client, 
actor DeMond Wilson. Raiden set it up so that DeMond Wilson would come to him at the end of the evening at La Scala and say, hey, good to see you, buddy. Let's go party, and I'll leave with you. Lanied comes over to pick him up at his hotel where he's staying in Los Angeles, wearing a uh, tight-fitting LeMay outfit. Laney says, let's go to La Scala and, and, and work this thing out between us about the movie differences. The duo get into Laney's limo, and the chauffeur takes off onto Sunset Boulevard. Back at the hotel, Jonathan Lawson receives an odd phone call. It's a woman looking for Raiden's party buddy, Tally Rogers. Tally's been MIA for about a month. When Lawson tries to find out who the caller is, she hangs up. The call doesn't sit right with Jonathan. He rings La Scala to tell Roy about it and receives alarming news. Jonathan got hold of Damon, and Damon said they never got here. Hours pass. No word from Roy or Laney. His concern grows. Jonathan smelled something was wrong. He didn't realize how much danger uh, Raiden was in. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. On May 13th, Roy Raiden and Lainey Jacobs were en route to dinner. But the duo never showed at the restaurant. And now, both are missing. Raiden's personal assistant, Jonathan Lawson, is concerned when his boss doesn't return to their hotel. 
Jonathan knew immediately something was up. This is Jonathan. He makes dozens of calls all over town looking for Raiden. He rings Lainey at home, but can't get an answer. He leaves a message with her answering service. Jonathan couldn't get her and left the message that if I don't hear back for you, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to go to the police. Finally, he hears from Lainey. She said that her and Roy had got into a fight in the limo. She told him that Roy got mad at me. He kicked me out of the limo and he took off. Roy's personality was very intense. He could be pretty scary, could be pretty intimidating. She went on to her attorney's house in Beverly Hills. Jonathan's hope for answers is dashed. If something did in fact happen to Roy, it was after he and Lainey parted ways. By the next morning, Roy still hasn't returned. When Jonathan rings Roy's mother to alert her of the situation, she fills him in on a conversation from the last time they spoke, and it's chilling. Roy said, Mom, I love you. If anything happens to me, you know, I want to let you know that I love you. This was sort of like, you know, a red flag, a big red flag that something was up. They said, you know, call the LAPD and make a missing person report. But it's hard to get police to be too aroused about somebody like Roy going missing, giving Roy's recreational habits. And the family and myself are saying, no, 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 this does not add up. This does not add up. A week later, Roy's mother puts up a million-dollar reward for his safe return. Raiden's disappearance is front-page news in New York. Over the next few weeks, friends and family wait with bated breath. You're like in limbo, and the limbo becomes pure torture. Roy's mother was desperately seeking to find out what happened to him. He simply vanished into thin air. The beekeeper, about 60 miles north of LA, was looking for a place to put his beehives. And um, he saw a hand sticking up from a bush, a human hand. The beekeeper calls local police, who arrive at the scene and find a horrific sight. A mummified, withered corpse with no face, but an expensive three-piece suit and a Pierre Cardin tie. He was shot in the back of the head with a 22, somewhere between 12 and 13 times. You had the frame structure of a fellow that was over six foot, but mostly bones and some dried skin and the clothing. Based on the condition of the body, police believe the person was murdered on May 13th, the day Roy was last seen headed to La Scala. But there's nothing on the body to ID it. No wallet, no jewelry, no license. We knew the general size of this person. He was 6'4", very obese, and the type of clothing he was wearing. Right away, they saw the, the Roy Raiden missing persons with LAPD. They requested dental charts from uh, New York on Roy Raiden, and that's how he was identified. The media is ablaze over the tabloid ready story. His bullet riddled body was found in a remote area near Gorman. Raiden's badly decomposed body was discovered face up in a three piece business suit. I was devastated. That was just too much. His mother was distraught. And this was her baby boy. And this was her hero. I mean, this was the guy who stepped up after the father left and took care of the whole family. She adored him. 
for police, this is now a homicide investigation. L.A. County Sheriff's Detective Carlos Avila is assigned the case, and he has his work cut out for him. One of the first questions police will ask when somebody is murdered is, uh, well, do you know if he had any enemies? <laughs> you know, for Roy Radin, that was a tough question to answer. You go, well, where should I start? The people that he stiffed, the people that he abused, the people that he yelled at. There were a lot of people that thought if something bad happens to Roy Radin, that's a good day for me. Detectives interview Radin's personal secretary, Jonathan, and he immediately points the finger at Lainey Jacobs. Lainey Jacobs is the woman that tried to force her way into the heaven to She wanted half of Roy's percentage, and Roy refused to give that to her. But for detectives to question Lainey, they need to find her. She put her house up immediately for sale in Sherman Oaks. She was excited she was moving to go to, into the film business into New York. She's selling the house because she's going to become a film producer. Detectives investigate the story that Lainey told Jonathan. Using phone records, they verify that she was at her attorney's apartment that night. There's a record that she was there and tried to call Robert Evans. With Evans' name in the mix, Detective Avila and his partner set up an interview with the fame producer. It lasts almost four hours, and Evans appears heavily affected by the mysterious murder. He's scared for his safety and his family's safety. Evans verifies that Laney had called him May 13th from her attorney's apartment and told him about the fight where she got thrown out of the limo. He said that he was all for Raiden and Laney becoming mutual partners in the movie business. But he didn't want anything to do with the negotiations. He said he told Raiden to settle it and leave him out of it. Evans told him everything uh, allegedly that he knew. But from talking to Lawson, they know there's more to the story. Evans made an offer to Roy for, I think it was $2 million to buy him out of the deal. The investigation continues, and as they interview various associates, they learn Raiden expected creative control. It was realized that Roy was not going to be the silent money partner as expected. Evans was making calls to other investors about financing the Cotton Club deal without Raiden. And before it was even discovered that Raiden was dead, Robert Evans traveled to Las Vegas. There, he met with the wealthy Dumani brothers. He went to uh, these uh, brothers in Las Vegas two or three weeks before the body was found. They're the ones who eventually put money into backing the Cotton Club movie. Weeks after Roy Radin's bullet-riddled body was discovered in Caswell Canyon, police are desperately trying to get to the bottom of what happened to him. The last thing that everybody knew was that Lainey Jacobs came to his hotel room, picked him up, he got into her limo. Her story was, hey, he kicked me out of the limo and he took off. I don't know where they went. The limo driver must have killed him. Detective Avila tracks down the car service. They search the limo and find nothing, but they do uncover a vital piece of the puzzle. They found out who rented the limousine, a man named Bill Mincer. He used to work for Larry Flint, who was the publisher of Hustler magazine. William worked for Larry Flint's security. It could be a huge break in the case, but when they attempt to track Bill Menser down, like Laney, he's nowhere to be found. In the 80s, it was much easier for people to just disappear. 
Three months after Roy's body was discovered, narcotics officers make a drug bust at the Los Angeles airport. And one of the men arrested? None other than William Menser. LAPD called Carlos Avila, one of our original investigators, and said, hey, we're going to do a search warrant in Menser's apartment. And the search yields a promising find. They were Polaroid shots of Menser standing with fatigues on with automatic weapons. In each photo, Menser is posing with a different man. But it's not the people Avila finds noteworthy. In the background, you could see Caswell Canyon, the same mountains where Roy Raiden's body is found. Avila knows this is more than a coincidence. But Menser isn't talking. He said, no, I want to talk to my attorney. So he wouldn't even discuss the Roy Raiden case with him. Menser beats the drug charges against him. So any hope that he'll talk in order to strike a deal is gone. The case begins to grow cold. Carlos Avila was basically working the case alone. And when you have a case that you haven't solved, say, for two or three months, he has to deal with new cases because they're fresh. Something like this, you get back to when you can. When the case went cold, um, it became very frustrating for me because I had no answers to give Roy's mother or his sister. It's a very helpless feeling. One year after Roy Radin's death, The Cotton Club, the movie that was going to be his ticket to Hollywood, hits theaters with an A-list cast. The Cotton Club movie wound up starring Richard Gere and Gregory Hines. And the perfect director. The director of the movie became Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola broke ground in a powerful way with his film, The Godfather. And that was the beginning of a kind of renaissance of uh, the American love affair with gangsters. It's a surefire recipe for the blockbuster Evans has been after. And it flopped. The movie just didn't cohere and uh, it lost money. Robert Evans is left in financial ruin. His already tarnished reputation is in tatters. Hollywood's an odd place in that you're only as good as your last picture. And people distrusted Robert Evans more because his last pictures had been a flop than because he was possibly associated with a murder. Four years have passed since Raiden's murder, and the case is still cold. The main investigator, Carlos Avila, is going to work for the FBI, so his cases are redistributed. I was working the unsolved office out of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And the captain called my partner and I in and said, uh, I want you guys to work this case. Just take your time and absorb it and see where you can go with it. As Stoner and his partner study the case, one thing catches their attention. We're going through the evidence and I see the photographs. Sergeant Avila had never been able to identify the other men posing with Menser and Menser himself still isn't talking. Sergeant Stoner knows in his gut they are the key to this case. And I thought, you know, there's somebody we need to contact who can tell us who they are. And we got to talking to people that had known Menser, and uh, we learned that he's divorced. Who else to talk to but an ex-wife? They tracked down Menser's ex-wife. She met with us. 
you could tell she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to help. And so she's getting ready to leave. I said, just one thing. And I said, look at these photographs and tell me. We know this is Bill. Who are these other people? She identifies Alex Marty. According to uh, Mincer's ex-wife, Alex Marty is almost a psycho. He's very mean and was supposed to have been an ex-member of the Argentine hit squads. She recognizes them as having worked with her ex and Larry Flint's security team. She also identifies the third man in the photo, William Ryder. William Ryder originally was a police officer in Ohio, then went on to be chief of Larry Flint's security. We said, how do we get hold of Bill Ryder? And she gave us his phone number. Police contact Ryder, who is now living in the Midwest. He agrees to come to California and talk to them. After four years of searching for any morsel of info, finally, a lead. We sit down and we have a chat with him. He says, first of all, these people are very, very dangerous. And I've got a child and a wife, and I can't afford to let them know that I'm assisting you in any way. And we said, well, right now, we just want to know where these photographs were taken. Ryder obliges. He gets us on Highway 5 and drives us right to Caswell Canyon. Says, go down this side road, we do. He says, it was right in here. We're probably 100 feet from where Raiden's body was found. And then he reveals what he knows. The story of the shocking, unbelievable murder of Roy Raiden. Police know the limo Roy Raiden got into the night of his murder was rented by a bodyguard named William Menser. They've had no luck getting Menser to talk, but police have tracked down his former associate, Bill Ryder. Bill Ryder worked for Larry Flint's security for quite a while. He said we would sit around and talk about things that we had done in our past. And one of the security team's favorite topics was the Raiden murder that Menser and Marti were in on. Oh, you mean Godzilla? Roy Raiden was 6'4", weighed over 300 pounds. And that's how they referred to him as Godzilla. Ryder said I'd sit around and talk with him about the murder. But Sergeant Stoner needs hard evidence, not just hearsay, in order to take the killers down. He asked Ryder to wear a wire and try to get a confession from the men. If they've talked openly with him before, maybe they would again. But these are dangerous men, and Bill has a family to worry about. They put him into witness protection program, paid him $3,000 a month. We give his family a safe house, and we give him 24-hour security. Police set up shop at a Los Angeles Holiday Inn. Ryder reaches out to Menser. Ryder called Menser and told him, I'm in town, why don't you come by and have a beer with me? Menser agrees to come to the hotel. And it doesn't take much to get him talking. Mincer was very proud of that. You could tell by his voice. We were in the back of the limousine with uh, Ray, and uh, we were on the sunset. Alex was on the floor with a gun. pointed right there, Ray, and Sprott. Just right in Sprott. I told him, say one word, you're going to lose everything, Tom. <laughs> Mincer doesn't just describe how the murder happened. He finally answers the question cops have been asking themselves all along. Why? And the answer is one cops never saw coming. It all started with Raiden's L.A. party buddy, Tally Rogers. Tally Rogers was actually the drug courier. This other guy was a lieutenant. They call him 
Every six weeks, he would bring 10 kilos of cocaine from the Miami area out to Los Angeles. But in April of 1983, someone takes off with 10 kilos of cocaine and a quarter of a million dollars. And Tally, who is nowhere to be found, is the main suspect. He ran something chased down Virgin Islands and all this shit. Knowing Raiden's close relationship with the missing courier, Tally's supplier zeroes in on him. Raiden probably had something to do with this drug theft, or at least knows where Tally is and where the drugs are. Menser is recruited as a hired gun, and a plan is hatched to shake Raiden down. We'll take him somewhere and make him tell us where Tally is and where the drugs are. They learn Menser's version of what went down that night. He describes how they did the kidnapping. The chauffeur was a guy named Bob Lowe. Lowe drives Laney and Raiden in their limo to La Scala, and Menser and Marty follow closely behind. When the limo pulls off to the side street and stops, the doors fly open. Menser and Marty jump into the limo that Roy was in. Laney jumps out of the limo. So now Roy's in this limo with these three men, two of them pointing a gun between his legs for a 60-mile drive up to Gorman County. Right away, they're talking to him about Tally Rogers and the, the theft of the money. And Rain says, I've got no idea what you're talking about. What he must have gone through and been thinking of and those guys doing to him at the time, it, it must have been a nightmare. The plan was to do whatever they had to do to get Raiden to talk. But according to Menser, as soon as they reached their location, that changed. He said, we got out there to Caswell Canyon, and Raiden kept denying anything. Marty, the loose cannon, runs out of patience. And he said, that darn Marty. Just shot him right in the head as soon as he got him out of the car. And he said he just kept shooting him. Mincer gave him the coup de grace just to show that he was part of it. But there's one more person Menser tells Ryder about, the ripped-off supplier who orchestrated this job. What was her name? Her name was uh, Elaine Jacobs. Now, I've never seen a here. This was my girlfriend. As it turns out, Lainey Jacobs is more than just the fashion mogul and kept divorcee she appeared to be. Lainey was a very high-end drug dealer to the stars moved a lot of quantities of cocaine. She gets her stash from a Colombian drug cartel. And the way the cocaine business works, she's fronted the drugs. She's getting heat now from the Colombians. Where's the money for our cocaine? Or where's our money? She can't just tell the cartel that her courier ran off with it. She has to find Tally to get the money back, which is why she sent Menser and his goons after Raiden. Thanks to Marty, they never got the information she was looking for. It's a gruesome confession, and it's all on tape, but there's one more person who's about to get pulled into the web. And anything Police have taped confessions from Bill Menser, admitting his involvement in the murder of Roy Raiden. We were in the back of the What was once a cold case has fully heated up. 
Detective Stoner tracks down an old friend of Lainey's who's in jail, and she provides valuable intel. Lainey is living in Okeechobee, Florida, under the name Karen Greenberger. After Roy was murdered, Lainey had moved down there to Florida, met a fellow by the name of Larry Greenberger. This guy's a millionaire. She winds up moving in and marrying him. Detective Stoner contacts the Okeechobee police to inquire about Karen Greenberger. They call him back with some unbelievable news. She's under investigation for another crime, the murder of her husband. He said, well, our coroner doesn't think it's a suicide. They think that someone shot Greenberger and tried to make it look like a suicide. Laney is not only under investigation, she's on the run. We started tracking her credit cards, and she was moving every other day to another hotel. They figure, uh-oh, she's going to split. She's making arrangements to get out of the country. A coordinated plan between the Okeechobee and L.A. County Sheriff's Departments is quickly set in motion. We had the sheriff in Okeechobee call her attorney and tell him, look, we're not going to arrest her on her husband's shooting. We're still investigating that, and it may very well be a suicide, but we need a statement from her. And the attorney said, you promise not to arrest her for that? And he says, we promise. With the agreement in place, Lainey comes out of hiding. She agrees to meet in Orlando and give a statement about the night Larry Greenberger was shot. As she finishes her statement, the police have one of their own. Oh, by the way, I do have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of Roy Raiden. And of course, her attorney went berserk. Said, you promise not to arrest her? And I said, I wouldn't arrest her for the Greenberger shooting. She's being arrested for the, the murder of Roy Raiden. And with Laney in custody, they surge into action, gathering up the others. Four people are under arrest tonight for the contract murder of New York producer Roy Raiden back in 1983. Robert Evans is not one of the core group taken into custody, but the district attorney makes it clear he's not off the hook just yet. The pre-trial hearings begin. DA David Kahn needs to make a convincing argument that he has enough evidence to try Laney and her cohorts for murder. With high stakes and a star-studded lineup, the media and spectators pile in. The trial is expected to include testimony from several Hollywood celebrities, including actor DeMond Wilson and Robert Evans, the former head of Paramount Pictures. The crowds clamor to hear what the first person called to the stand by the prosecution is going to say. And it's a perfect opening act. Robert Evans. Evans takes the stand, and the courtroom is silent. Unfortunately, so is he. When they tried to ask him about it in court, he took the fifth. Robert Shapiro was representing Robert Evans. Shapiro later speaks for him, telling the media that Evans was totally uninvolved in the case. Other witnesses tell a different story. Prosecution witness William Ryder testified Menser told him both Greenberger and Evans were involved in the killing, essentially that they paid for it. Shapiro calls the insinuation that Evans paid for the hit an outright lie. And without any further evidence against him, Evans walks out of the courtroom. Off the hook, but with a shadow that would forever haunt him. The others aren't so lucky. The judge deems the evidence sufficient for trial. After seven years, the case is finally going to trial. And it's expected to provide a glimpse of two areas. Movie deal-making and cocaine use in Hollywood. Seven years after Roy Radin's execution-style murder, the four defendants face the jury. 
unadmitted cocaine dealer, Lainey Greenberger, is accused of hiring three men to kill Raiden. Lainey is called to the stand. I was quite surprised that she took the stand. I would have thought she would have been the one to take the fifth. D.A. Khan makes a convincing argument that she had two motives in play. The Cotton Club dispute and the stolen drugs. When she testified, she kept claiming she was afraid after the theft that uh, the cartel was after her. On July 22nd, the jury reaches a verdict. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, William Menser, guilty of the crime of first-degree murder. We find the defendant, Alex Marty, guilty of the crime of first-degree murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Karen Delane Greenberger, guilty of the crime of second-degree murder. And though they aren't given the death penalty, Laney and her crew don't get off easy. They all get sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. These are dangerous people. Would they do it again if released? More than likely, I would think, because their actions were like normal to them. They thought they were invincible. It's like they were living a movie in their mind. This movie come to life had more drama than the one that started it, The Cotton Club. Roy wanted it all and went for it. He chased the Hollywood dream and paid the ultimate price. It's amazing what drugs and the wrong woman can do to a man. If you mess with murderers and drug dealers, you're going to sleep with the fishes. Roy Radin may have been larger than life, but for his loved ones, he was still a real person. And this was a huge loss. I miss Roy terribly. He wasn't a perfect guy. He had the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. But he should be remembered for the good things he did, the people he helped, which he did a lot of. He opened opportunity doors for people that they would never have been able to open for themselves. And the sad part is I think he could have done a lot more.